You're not friends. You'll never be friends. You'll be in love till it kills you both. You'll fight and you'll shag and you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver, but you'll never be friends. Love isn't brains, children. It's blood. Blood screaming inside you to work its will. I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 3, Episode 8 entitled Lover's Walk. An important note about this episode, in almost every single instance of, like, I have all these Buffy academic books that I consult when I um, do these podcast episodes, um, almost all of them, it's, um, the title of this episode, Lover's Walk, is apostrophe S. But in the um dvd and uh in on like the wikipedia page it states it as lovers plural walk no apostrophe so that kind of makes more sense and it's just a, a distinction that like i think helps me because i've always done it as i've always thought it was apostrophe s um you know thinking more like the walk that Spike takes with Buffy and Angel in this episode is the lover's walk, but really it's lover's walk like everyone's breaking up in this episode, essentially. So um, I think that makes more sense and it's an important distinction and it's something that I did not know until now um, that it's not apostrophe S. So, you know, just one of those things that like most people probably don't care about that, but uh, whatever. Let's use the, um, I like to use the plot summary from Nikki Stafford's Bite Me episode guide um, because they're always super short and sweet. Uh, so the one for this episode is a drunken spike returns to Sunnydale after Drusilla has left him in the lurch and the Scoobies have to come to terms with their relationships after certain infidelities are revealed. So let's get into it, man. Um, <laughs> okay. There's something I need from this book. So I need to set it aside so that I may see it again. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe let's start with, let's actually start with some like, uh, business stuff. So, um, w there is no episode next week, so it will be two weeks before we talk about the next episode of Buffy. The next episode of Buffy After Lover's Walk is The Wish. So, um, if this is your first time listening to my Buffy recap podcast, um, oh, I didn't explain that I rewatch, recap, rehash re all the things every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date which is why I have such weird times like I was looking over I just got my I'm kind of a calendar whore <laughs> and I just got my um I always have three different calendars every year I have a mini calendar mini wall calendar that I keep right next to my desk. I have a full-size wall calendar that I keep in the kitchen downstairs. And then I have a planner. 
<laughs> so in two out of three of those calendars, I always write the episodes of Buffy so that I can, you know, at a glance, look and see, you know, like, you know, when I'm doing Buffy. Anyway, so I got my, um, my mini calendar for 2019 in the mail yesterday, and I just sat down with my little lap desk, um, just writing neatly in Sharpie every episode of Buffy that we're going to be watching next year. And it's just so, um, and I understand it's like the schedule of television, you know, like things are not on every single week, but it is always like when an episode starts or when a season starts, it's very front loaded. Like we've been, um, pretty consistently talking about Buffy every week for the last two months when it started back up again, um, season three, but next month we will have only two episodes to talk about. And then the month after that, it will be, it's going to get kind of, it's going to get kind of sparse. So we're going to have to decide in the coming, in about the next month or so, we're going to need to like have a talk about what we're going to do because I don't like to, I don't mind if like, you know, like next week there's no episode, so I just won't have a podcast episode next week. No big deal. But if it's like you're talking about two, three weeks of no podcast episodes, I don't, I don't like to be that inconsistent with you guys. I want to have some kind of content for anyone that is listening in real time. Of course, this probably doesn't matter to people listening in the future that are just listening to all the Buffy episodes in order probably are like, they probably, those people probably don't give a shit about the stuff in between, but, um, I don't know. Anyway. So just, um, let's discuss all the air times of the podcast, um, all the Buffy episodes for the rest of the year. So of, co of course, this is the last Saturday of November. We're talking about Lover's Walk right now. Next week, no Buffy episode. The 8th of December, we will be talking about The Wish. The 15th of December, we will be talking about Amends. And then there are two, the last two Saturdays of the year there will be no Buffy episode to talk about and the first Saturday of January there will be no Buffy episode to talk about so we have three full weeks coming up at the end of December going into 2019 where we won't have any Buffy episodes to talk about so we'll have to figure something out when we get closer because I'm not gonna leave you guys for three full weeks without the podcast. So we'll have something in that time. Maybe we'll talk about a Christmas movie or something. I don't know. That could be fun. Um, yeah. So if you guys have any ideas for what you want me to do, um, for at least one out of those three dark weeks of no Buffy episodes to talk about at the end of the year this year, um, let me know. Uh, we could talk about like I said, we could talk about a Christmas movie, we could talk about some other pop culture, or I could just like give you guys a little update on what's been going on with me. I could do like, I'm like a very reflective 
existential philosophical like i'm a person that's very much in my head all the time um i'm not in the world i am in my head <laughs> so um i definitely do a lot of end of year reflections and stuff like that and resolutions for the coming year so i could do like a little talk about that kind of stuff like how the year has been if you guys want to write to me let me know how your year has gone we can just kind of you know do like an informal you know, reflections on 2018 podcast episode towards the end. Um, if you want, um, let me know. Um, you can email me, email me, mixtressradio at gmail.com, M I X T R E S S R A D I O. I don't know why I spelled radio, but uh, you guys know how to spell radio. Um, also, for any of you that are fans of Mixtress Radio, which used to be a weekly radio show that has recently, I've taken it down to monthly. Um, and that was just very recently. I think last month was the first month that I did that. Um, no, in fact, this month, this month was the first month that I have done it just once in the month of November. and. Taking myself out of, I guess this is sort of a what's up with Mixtress segment right here. So I'm just going to babble about myself for a few minutes and then we'll start talking about the episode finally. I have been just taking that ritual out of my life of, you know, having a weekly radio show for me meant that I spent, you know, a good, probably average three to five hours a week putting the show together, recording intros for it, um, putting together the playlist, getting it all ready for you guys. And I really miss that ritual and it's made, it's made me kind of depressed not having that ritual every single week of getting ready for the radio show. And I had thought, sometimes it feels a little overwhelming to have the the podcast you know when it's consistently like it has been where there's a lot of episodes where there's an episode almost every week and it can be kind of overwhelming to do like to have my regular stupid for money jobs and the radio show every friday and then the podcast every saturday it can get a little overwhelming to have all those things in a week however I think that's better for me just to stay busy like that. I had hoped that I could like take the time that I worked on the radio show and reappropriate it to something else, like maybe start doing art again. I used to do art um, and, you know, or whatever, just kind of funnel it into other creative pursuits, but I haven't done that. I've basically just sat around and felt sorry for myself on Friday nights ever since uh, I scaled the radio show back to Saturdays or at, once a month. So I think I'm going to start it back up as a weekly show again, but I'm going to wait. My plan at this moment is to wait until the beginning of 2019, just sort of like it's still new that I'm not doing it every Friday and I want to kind of let the habit of it 
I, I want to kind of shake it off to see if in the absence of that habit I do start to create something else that works for me but I really think that I'm gonna go back to it um, and it's good to reassess every once in a while um, I've been having a lot of like existential thoughts I've been having a lot of I call it existential when it's really not as dark as that but you know just kind of what is it all for you know I've been thinking a lot about validation like I do all these things like this podcast my radio show and the and a YouTube channel and even though the YouTube channel is it's very sporadic it's I don't put a whole lot of effort into that but I do all these things because and you know like I've been thinking about motivations like do I do it because I want people to see me to hear me to notice me and yeah it's a very human thing to want to be seen and heard but part of the reason that I decided to scale the radio show back to once a month is because I I don't get a whole lot of response for the radio show because it's a live thing and I completely understand you know it's just like the weird music that I like to listen to mixed in with me talking about myself for 20 minutes every like 10 songs or so you know like it's a very weird thing that I do but it really keeps me focused on my life I I had I had a really kind of bad week without going into the details of it I was basically in a very panicked state for pretty much three full days straight this week and I'm not usually a very ang anxious person but there was an event that happened that made me extremely anxious and just like putting my brain and my body through that this week if I had had something else to focus on like the radio show to get ready for you know it's possible that I could have dealt with that a lot better and the radio show also allows me to like really keep track of what's going on and think about what's going on with my life because I report it you know like I do like a what's up with mixtress every single week on my mixtress radio and it's very weird and personal and probably like despite the fact that it's a live radio show and not a lot of people can really like sit down and listen to a fucking live radio show these days and I completely understand besides that it's just really strange and personal so it's not gonna be something that a lot of people want to hear however I had to really think about like the benefits that I get from doing it are so there's so much you know like you can't really attach a number to something like that but you know on a pro and con list if you could attach a number to that you know the numbers of what I get out of doing the radio show are very high compared to the numbers of like people that actually other people they get something out of it sometimes I get in really great conversations with my listeners you know we'll start texting or whatever during the radio show and it's super awesome but those moments are you know they happen like once a month or so um but I still get something out of it anyway I I 
I'm making no sense right now, except that, um, I think I had to have like a come to Jesus moment with myself where I had to be like, you know what, just because no one listens and that's, that's a dramatization because there are, I do have some really like a handful of really awesome, loyal listeners and that is really awesome. But I started to feel like I was like, I don't know, uh, like I was wasting their time or something because like, I don't bring very interesting content, but I get a lot out of it. And you know, you have to start thinking about like creative people and you know, what are their motivations for doing things in our current world of like instant internet validation like it can feel like when you're doing something creative and you're not getting a lot of feedback from it it can feel like it's not important because you're not getting enough feedback but you have to like try to remind yourself that every single creative person which I would argue every single person is creative you know like I don't buy it when somebody says I'm not a creative person like no you just like have been discouraged from creative pursuits early on in life that made you stop trying. That's all, you know, like the imagination was killed in you. And I don't want that to happen to me. Like I don't, I have no like great achievements in my life. You know, I do things that matter to me, like this podcast, like the YouTube channel and my radio show. Those three things really bring meaning to me even and I hope that they're connecting to other people and I do have listeners to this podcast I mean you're listening right now so I know I'm making connections to people but sometimes it can feel it can feel like I'm just you know like I'm literally sitting in a room in a closet I'm sitting in a closet right now with a tape recorder in my hands talking into it you know that and I'm sure a lot of creators out there can, can empathize with this. It can feel very isolating. You know, there's, there are thousands of successful YouTubers out there that, you know, when they're recording, it's like 2 AM and it's just them and a camera pointed at their face. And that can feel really isolating. I don't know. <laughs> What am I talking about? What's this bitch talking about? That's why you listen to this podcast, isn't it? I almost said tune in. Um, yeah. So anyway, all of that is just to say that, um, I'm really sad without the radio show and I don't want to be sad. <laughs> so maybe it has more value than I thought it did. So I'm probably going to start it back up again because once a month is really just not enough. There were five sat or, you know, we're not done with November yet, but there will be five Saturdays in November and only, or Fridays, sorry, five Fridays in November. And I'm only doing one radio show in all of those five. It just, it isn't right. It isn't right. And I don't like it. And so I'm going to probably start it back up again. So if any of you guys are fans of that. I will let you know when I do start it back up again, it will likely be, I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> I don't even know if I'll make it through December. You know, like, I just feel like 
I want to start it again, so I should just do it instead of like waiting for a certain time to do it again. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, y'all probably don't give a shit about that. So let's move on. Let's get to my notes. Let's talk about Lover's Walk. I didn't have a ton of notes for this particular episode. Like normally I have pages and pages, but I only have, I only have two full pages front and back for this one episode. I thought I would have more to say about it. It's one that I always look forward to. I'm having to cross the apostrophe off everywhere that I've written Lover's Walk. <laughs> like on my calendar, like it is not, there's no apostrophe. There's no apostrophe. Okay. So that's our first fact of Lover's Walk. There is no apostrophe. Okay. So the episode opens with everybody talking about their SAT scores. Willow's super disappointed in herself. They never reveal what her scores are, but it's generally like by the reactions and the conversations of everyone around her. She's disappointed in herself because she didn't get like a perfect score or whatever, I guess. Um, I never had to take the SAT. Like whenever I was in high school, you could choose between the ACT and the SAT. I don't really know what the difference is, except that SATs, the overall score, you, you had a verbal score and a math score, and then they combined for an overall possible score of 1500. Or is it 1600? I think 1600. Um, and then the ACT, I don't remember what the overall possible score for that was, but it was like somewhere in the like 30 or 40, like maybe 40 was the absolute top or 30. I don't know. <laughs> and there was a math and it was also like a thing where there was a math and like a, I don't think they called it verbal, but like there was like a reading comprehensive section. And then there was the math section. I think I took the ACT. I think I got a 22 if I remember correctly which I was pretty disappointed in. I only took it once. I think that was kind of a decent score. It was not terrible. I don't remember what I got on the English part of it, the reading comprehension, the reading comprehension part of it, but I know I did really well on that part and I got a 16 on the math part. And I think the way that they did it was like an average between the two scores. Like it was an overall out of 30 or something for both and then it was the average. So my average was brought way down to 22 because I got a 16 on the math portion. I am really like, I pretty much still feel this way. If it's not addition and subtraction, multiplication, division, I don't see the point in it. I really don't like, yeah, if you're gonna be an engineer or be in physics or, you know, be a rocket scientist. Yeah, you need to know some more complicated math. But for everybody else, you don't need that. Like, I don't see any point in like calculus and geometry and algebra in fucking high school. Like it should, I mean, if, you know, if enough, enough people are interested in that and they wanna take it as an elective, great. But once you learn the basics, I really don't see the point in anything else. <laughs> and maybe I just say that because it doesn't interest me personally, but my God, I did terrible in math in school. In high school, I had to take geometry, 
like two or three times. And by the time I passed it, it was just a D because you could get away with a D. Um, and that's all I did. I would put just enough effort in to slide by with the lowest possible D because I hated it so much. I hated math so much. Equations on the side of my face. I don't know. Um, so yeah, anyway. I hate math. I don't know. We're t Apparently this is like a, because I've had like a stressful week, I'm sort of like hungover from the stress. So like, I'm probably going to go on all kinds of weird little tangents tonight. <laughs> and I only have two pages of notes for this particular episode. <laughs> Sorry guys. Very unfocused. Okay. So Willow's disappointed about her SAT scores. We don't find out what they actually are, but I'm willing to bet that she probably got like a really high score. We don't find out what Xander's scores are, except that he tells, um, he tells Willow that her 780 in verbal closely resembles his combined score. So we know that Xander did terribly. Um, Oz isn't talking about it because he probably took the SATs the year before since he's now repeating senior year. Um, we don't find out what Cordelia's scores are, but she is, but the, she did really well. Um, then we find out, I think we find out Buffy's score. I think it's a 1480. I know we find out Buffy's score. That's the only score we find out for sure. The number. Um, so she did really well. 1480 out of 1600 is a really great score. So that's kind of odd. And everyone's reacting really hugely to Buffy getting such a great score. Like they're all just like, oh my God, you could go to any college you want, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I kind of call bullshit on that because, you know, like overall Buffy's grade point average is probably not good. And she has a ton of absences and she has, you know, like violence on her school record and she doesn't do any extracurriculars like she just because she got a great SAT score does not get her into a good college so but anyway that's kind of the point of the episode the whole point of the episode is like breakups and thinking about the future so um I have decided I talked about it last week that my five by five scores I'm going to use the first score out of five as the enjoyability like I have been doing and the second score out of five is now going to be the episode's overall treatment of women um because I just think that's a more important thing to talk about and a more important thing to score so that's what I'm changing it to um but I do still want to talk about metaphors that's just going to be one of the other things that I talk about still but, and I think what this episode is trying to convey is looking towards the future. And it's, you know, this season in general needs to focus on that because they're going to graduate high school at the end of this season. So, and we're getting to the, let's see, we're about a third of the way through the season. So, um, they've got to start pushing those themes more and more as we go on. So this is kind of the, this SAT theme I think they kind of did this little subplot of talking about the SATs in, in a pretty subtle, cohesive, continuity-driven way. Like, 
they've been talking about the SATs pretty consistently for several weeks now. You know, they talked about several episodes of them sort of studying for it and getting ready for it. And then there was, you know, Buffy talking to Giles about it at the end of Band Candy, saying that, you know, she felt very bewildered and confused by the whole thing. And um, then uh, later, and then now we're getting the culmination of that, them getting their scores back from it. And everybody, you know, like... Joyce and Giles and all, and everybody is just like, oh my god, this is so great, Buffy, you did so great, you could actually go to college. And Buffy's just sort of like, sort of confused by it. Like, she's always talking about wanting a normal life, but as soon as, like, a possibility of a normal life is confronting her, she doesn't know how to react to it. She's like, what? No, I have responsibilities. I need to stay here. Like, she doesn't really... She's reluctant to think about the future, which I think is very consistent of her character, not only because she is a teenager, but also because she's a slayer, and slayers tend to have pretty short lifespans. But also because she's, you know, Angel's back, and she doesn't know what's going on between the two of them. She's trying to be friends with Angel, and that's not working. And if you try to think too hard about what the future is with a 242-year-old vampire that's been in a hell dimension for a thousand years, so does that make him 1,242? I don't know. Hell math. Um, but, yeah. So thinking about the future is a thing that is very difficult to do in the Buffy universe from Buffy's perspective for a lot of different reasons. And that's what we're talking about in this episode, for the most part. And, you know, people breaking up. Basically, so many breakups in this episode. Giles is sent away in the beginning of the episode, basically because, you know, he has no relationship to break up, you know? Um, so he's not really a part of this. He is going on a retreat, so that's just a convenient way for Giles to be elsewhere, I guess. Um... So we only get like one scene with Giles in the whole episode. And it's just him talking to Buffy about her test scores and like everybody's just like suggesting that Faith could totally take over for Buffy. I mean, she could just like go to college and Faith could be the one and only Slayer. Like she likes doing it, right? As was pointed out in the excellent Buffy podcast called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which I plug every single episode because it's part of my research and I have to give them credit for the ideas that they implanted me. I briefly thought about like I'm always talking about the shit that they say which makes me sort of like a copy off podcast. <laughs> Maybe I should stop listening to their podcast like I should watch the episode and take notes first before I listen to their episode so that like I know which of the ideas that they state that I would have had on my own. <laughs> so I might start doing that. Anyway, anyway, what are we talking about? Um, they pointed something out. See, I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, they pointed out that, like, why isn't somebody putting Faith up? Like, come on. She's not in this episode at all, which I think is dumb. Like... They could have at least thrown in some excuse why she's not around, but like they did with Giles, but they don't. Um, you know, things happen in this episode that they don't, they don't call her in on. Like she could have 
been helpful during events in this episode. Like, the fact that they're leaving her out of things is just, you know, more fodder for her going to the dark side pretty damn soon. Like, when does that happen? That's going to happen very soon. Ugh. The neglect of Faith. Like, Giles could have her staying with him. Uh, Joyce could have her staying with them. Like, if she's going to be here indefinitely, she doesn't need to be paying $18 a day to her Spartan motel room. It's just ridiculous. Anyway. Okay, let me go back to my notes. Um, <laughs> all I have talked about from my notes is the very first sentence that I wrote, which was Willow was disappointed by her SAT scores. Also, Xander's shirt in this um, very first scene of the episode is excellent. It's like fuchsia and purple and it's like vertical stripes, but they have like a, it's like a funky pattern going on through the stripes. It's, it's really nice. Um, and it's just like, you know, a button up shirt over like a black t-shirt or something. And who knows what his fucking pants are. I don't know. I don't even know if we really see his pants. I, I mean, we have to, but whatever. Willow's wearing kind of a cute shirt. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Oh, um, I wrote down possible foreshadowing for the next episode. So the next episode is when Cordelia wishes to a vengeance demon. So we meet Anya in the next episode. So um, my Michael, he pointed out, he's like, isn't the wish like the next episode? And I was like, no, it's like weeks from now, but it really is the next episode. So he doesn't listen to this podcast, but I just wanted to point out that he was right and I was wrong. Anyway, in the next episode, Cordelia makes a wish to a vengeance demon, Anya, that Buffy, she wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. So whenever she says in this, when they're all reacting to Buffy's SAT score, she says to Buffy, now you can leave and never come back. <laughs> so I thought that might be a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, and then she's like, you know, it's a good thing. Why would anyone get out of Sunnydale? Why would anyone ever want to come back here? So that starts the very first of several really obvious and ridiculous transitions. So as soon as she says, why would anyone want to come back here? We cut to... Spike running in, running over the Sunnydale sign the same way that he did when he first got to town in season two. So this is the only episode in season three that we get any Spike at all. Of course, Spike will be, um, I think I was about to mention it earlier in this podcast and then I didn't. If this is your first time listening, this is not a spoiler free podcast. So I will regularly talk about things that happen years in the future. So um, if you want a spoiler free Buffy recap podcast, listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer and then listen to mine after you're ready for spoilers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Cause they're really good about that. I don't know how they do it because like, I don't know. Anyway, so we get lots and lots of Spike in season four, five, six, and seven. But for this season, unfortunately, this is the only episode. This is just the little season three Spike cameo in this episode. So he crashes into town. This time, it's he's not crashing into town triumphantly on purpose. Like the first time he crashed into town, he crashed into the sign on purpose this time he, oh my God, I just made a parallel that I had never thought of before. So his first time 
coming into town, he runs over that sign on purpose. The second time he comes to Sunnydale, he runs into it because he's drunk. That's what's happening right now. In the very last episode of the series, the entire town of Sunnydale is just cratered out because of an explosion caused by Spike because they needed an ensouled vampire to wear this like champion necklace or whatever and it explodes the whole town and it falls into a crater and it's like Sunnydale no longer exists and the very like last shot of like they're looking out over the crater that used to be Sunnydale is the sign falling into the crater and I never made like the connection between Spike and that sign like he's always destroying that sign <laughs> and in the end he's destroying it for good like as in morality good um, but also for good because Sunnydale is gone and I don't think they rebuild but wow <laughs> I just made that connection is there another time that when he comes back in season four does he destroy the sign I don't think so I think this is the only three times that he destroys the sign but um yeah so that's a fun realization I never made until just now okay Spike's back he's super drunk he shouldn't be driving drunk like come on but he's evil and irresponsible so of course he's driving drunk Drew has left him he's um he goes back to the factory so this whole episode he's just wasted and um you could tell he's sort of out of practice because James Marsters the play Spike he is American he's he's not English so his like cockney accent is sort of on the fritz and he's not he gets a lot better at it you know later in the series but in this episode he's and some of it is because he's drunk as well but I think he's having a hard time doing that accent while pretending to be drunk which is understandable plus he's out of practice because he hasn't you know we haven't seen Spike since the very end of season two you know it's been a good six seven months since we've even seen Spike so it's been a while so it's understandable that he's not great at the accent yet and it's possible that Giles wasn't on set I mean it's probable that Giles that Anthony Stewart head wasn't on set at all because he was sent away for a retreat or whatever at the beginning of the episode and um, Anthony Stewart head is usually Spike's accent coach because he's sort of teaching him his own accent uh, because Anthony Stewart heads real accent is the accent that he used in band candy it's more that cockney accent than the like refined English librarian accent that he uses most of the time anyway um let's see spikes back um they're deciding Oz suggests since they're all like celebrating their SAT scores he suggests that he Willow Oz and Cordelia go out for like a double date and like do something to celebrate their test scores together why they don't include Buffy in this is ridiculous like is does this really happen do people really exclude single people from hangout sessions because other people are coupled up like I've never understood that like people like what's wrong with people like why wouldn't they invite Buffy I mean she got excellent test scores too like she should get to go enjoy whatever event they decide to do together they could have invited Faith Faith could have been Buffy's date like come on 
But anyway, they all decide to go bowling together. And I wrote down that um, Xander says, what's classier than bowling? <laughs> I love all the like bowling talk because bowling, I think it's fun. And I generally have Willow's reaction to it. Not that I think that shoe rental is sexy like Willow does, but like um, just the fact that like Willow is having like a positive, nostalgic, sensory response to bowling. That's how I feel about bowling. Um, Oz gives Willow a little Pez witch and it's just the sweetest moment and it just, it's setting you up for the gut punch, you know, of him finding out that she's cheating on him, obviously. But this exchange is really sweet and it also confuses me at the end. So let's talk about it. He gives her the little Pez witch. She opens it up and she says, what's the occasion? And he says, pretty much you are. How sweet is that? Pretty much you are. He just gives her a little random gift and it's sweet and thoughtful. And uh, <clears throat> she just, you know, I think she says to him, that's so thoughtful. And he's like, well, I think about you. It's just a sweet little moment. And, um, she says, I don't have it. This is the part that confuses me. At the end of the exchange, she says, I don't have anything to give you. And Oz just says, yeah, you do. And I've always wondered, what does that fucking mean? Does it mean your virginity, baby? Because if so, that's kind of a shitty thing for Oz to say. And Oz is not a shitty person. So, but I've just never understood. What does that mean? Yeah, you do. Like you can give... You can give me love and companionship. Um, I don't know. Your undying soul. Like, what does he mean? Yeah, you do. I don't know. That's always bugged me. What do you guys think? Let me know. Um, next note, Giles is encouraging Buffy for... So he's basically t saying to her, like, Faith could take over for you. You could move on for a time, at least. Which I think is very uncharacteristic of Giles to be saying something like that. You know, I think that, I don't know, I think a more, I think a more unbalanced approach is how he would normally react to this. Like, he wouldn't be telling her, absolutely, don't even think about going to college, because he wouldn't say that to her. But he also wouldn't say that she should just, like, you know, take a sabbatical from being a slayer to go to college. She. I mean, that's not like him. He would be like, well, there's a lot of factors here. You know, this is a decision only you can make. Like, this is just, you know, they had him say to encourage her to go to college just for the sake of, you know, this episode, for in service to this episode. And I think that kind of is a disservice to Giles as a character because I don't think this is his normal reaction. I don't think it should have been anyway. It's against his character, okay? All right. Um, uh, then we cut to, um, Joyce kind of having the same conversation with Buffy. Everybody's just sort of like, as Buffy puts it, everybody's just kind of like, congratulations, get out. <laughs> because everyone's just like, you can leave Sunnydale. You can go to any college you want. Jo Joyce is getting all these like, um, brochures from different colleges and stuff. And like, just really like pushing Buffy to like get out of here and they're making popcorn together and it's you know sweet mom moment but anyway um 
Joyce just sort of says, you should be at a college with keg, car- keg parties and boys, not hell mouths and vampires. And I love that Buffy just says, not seeing the distinction, <laughs> which is perfect because that's what this whole show is about. It's talking about keg parties and boys disguised as hell mouths and vampires. Okay, you guys, self-care. If you're ever recording a podcast, okay, I just, my, my card went full and I don't know when it did. So I'm going to restart the sentence that I was starting. So sorry if I repeat myself. Self-care, you guys. If you're ever recording a podcast and it takes you between three to five hours to watch an episode, take notes, do research, record the episode, upload the episode, promote the episode on all the social media places, it's a good idea to take a break and get a beverage and maybe a snack because lately (laughs) I have just like, I get so like focused on like doing the whole thing all at once. And it really does take three to five hours, um, to do all of it, you know, from beginning to end. Um, I end up like at the end of it, I'll stand up from my chair after doing all of this stuff, only taking breaks to go to the bathroom and I'll be like shaky because I'm so hungry. So just wanted to let you guys know that I did just now pause to get a cherry diet, Dr. Pepper and an applesauce packet to squeeze into my mouth as soon as I start getting hangry. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Just wanted to let you know a little update on my life. Okay. Um, okay. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Mm-mm-mm. Little things bowling is sexy. Okay. This scene. Okay. I totally call bullshit on this. So Spike has been to the factory and he just sort of like was crying and drinking and looking at the burned up dolls and shit that are left over at the factory from when he, he and Drusilla lived there together. Her fucking dolls. She has so many goddamn dolls. First of all, Spike wasn't nice enough to pack them up and take them whenever he kidnapped her and took her away at the end of season two. But also there's a bunch of burned up dolls at the factory. There's a bunch of dolls that are in the mansion where Angel is. Anyway, so Spike goes to the mansion next and he's sort of lurking out in the courtyard area with the fountain and everything. Um, just looking at Angel, who is sitting by the fire reading, like, (laughs) reading, uh, I don't know how to, I think it's like French philosophy, Sartre, I think, I'm not saying it right, I'm sure, Um, but it's in the original French. So he's reading like a paperback of French philosophy in the original French by the fire, like, come on, Angel. Really? So I guess he's come a long way from feral beast just back from hell to reading French philosophy in French by the fire. (laughs) So I call bullshit on that, but I also call bullshit on the fact that Spike is wasted and he's like 20 feet from Angel watching him read and he's just like, yeah, you, I'll show you who's the cool guy and just like, throwing bottles around and shit out in the courtyard. Angel is a lurker. He's always being super observant on everything that's going on. He would know that Spike is out there, not only because Spike is not being subtle, but because he's a very observant person. And even if Spike was being subtle, 
he would know that he's fucking out there. I call bullshit on that, okay? A professional lurker such as Angel would not not know that Spike is out there. But anyway, Spike is ranting and like, he doesn't realize that Angel has a soul. He doesn't know that Angel died, you know, any of that stuff. He just thinks that Angel would be mad at him because, you know, he sort of betrayed him at the end of season two by like colluding with Buffy and kidnapping Drusilla and abandoning him during his like fight to the death with Buffy. So he just thinks that he's going to be mad at him. So that's why he's hiding. But so he's, you know, he throws the bottle down and he's super drunk and he like collapses into the fountain and wakes up on fire. According to the, um, my, um, bite me episode guide to Buffy, James Marsters has said in an interview that that was really his hand on fire because they were trying to figure out how to make it work in the shot because when his hand catches on fire, you can see his face and his hand. So they were trying to figure out how to get the stuntman's hand in the shot to put, to light that on fire instead of James Marsters' hand and they were having trouble figuring it out. So he was like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I guess he burned the fuck out of his hand while doing it. But, um... Hey, it looks real, cause it is. Um, not, okay. Just like a weird little aside. Like, I don't think that you should set actors' hands on fire necessarily, but can we just talk about how stupid CGI fire looks? Come on. It really does. <laughs> like, you always know that it's CGI fire, even if it looks pretty nice. And there are a lot of instances when you could just use real fire, you know? Come on. I don't care if it's old special effects, like, that look kind of cheesy. I would rather it be real fire with old special effects that look kind of cheesy than fucking CGI fire because it's just, it takes me out of it. It really does. Anyway, so this scene is not that because his hand is actually on fire, so... Kudos to James Marsters for going the extra mile for that scene because it looks good. He basically, his hand catches on fire and he wakes up and he starts screaming, you know, because sunlight has hit his hand. And um, I don't know. I think his acting being like drunk and it's just very Spike. It's very Spike drunk. It's just, he does a good job at being Spike drunk. And it's these kinds of things that make that led them to deciding because they were going to kill him off in season two you know he was going to be a big bad that died at the end of the season but they liked him so much that they kept him around um and they ended up writing him into the plot and being like a huge character for the last few seasons of the show so like it's instances like this that made them keep get, getting him to come back like at this point like they probably just thought, hey, it'd be really fun to have Spike back for an episode. They probably had no idea that they were going to write him into season four and five and six and seven. Anyway, sorry. Just a little James Marsters appreciation moment. I don't know if he's a good human, but I know that he's good at acting. So let's see. Um, wakes up on fire. Okay. And when he wakes up on fire, he's like screaming and just like flailing about like a ridiculous person and then he goes to he runs to his car which is nearby 
So Angel not only didn't notice him out in the courtyard the night before watching him read, he also didn't notice him waking up screaming on fire the next morning, still out in the courtyard. He also didn't notice his fucking car right outside. Like, come on, Angel. Okay. Um, so next scene, Spike goes to the magic shop because he wants to find ingredients for a love spell to get Drusilla back. And, um, in the midst of that, um, and he's just like being really funny, like talking about leprosy and the shop, the magic shopkeeper is like, we don't carry leprosy, <laughs> like, cause he wants to take it out. At first he's like, I just want to take it out on Angel. I want to, I want him to have boils. I want his parts to fall off leprosy, you know? So that or a love spell. Anyway, Willow comes in and she's like gathering together ingredients because um, I didn't discuss this, but Xander and Willow a couple scenes ago, they were like talking about, you know, this double date thing, bowling, it's not going to be good. They're going to know, they're going to know because, you know, they're still having their stupid fucking tryst. And... I am noticing a few things about Xander in the last couple episodes. That's something I want to bring up for a moment. I think we need to sort of pay attention. Is this a turning point for Xander? I'm not sure, but it might be. Like, does he become a better human? Is this a character development or does is it just coincidence that we've had these moments? Like, as soon as he starts being attracted to Willow, there are a couple different moments. Like... I think it was the last episode. Yeah, it was the last episode where he was like, like massaging her temples or whatever. She told him to stop and he, he said to himself, you know, like he actually had to force himself to stop. He's like, okay, no means no. So I'm going to stop. I'm stopping. I'm stopping. And he had to like kind of talk himself into it. And then there's this moment in this episode, there's a couple of moments in this episode so he's, he and Willow are talking about like, you know, they're going to know, they're going to know if we go bowling together and like, we can't do this anymore. And Willow's showing him her Pezwitch that Oz just gave her. And he asks, can I kiss your earlobe? And she says no. And so he doesn't. And I think that is a moment for Xander. I think we're watching him become a better human that's understanding consent. And like, I am ready to like, Xander's an asshole has been an asshole, like 85% of the time from the beginning of the fucking series up until now. So I am totally ready to stop hating Xander. And I don't know, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention. Maybe we don't have to hate him as much anymore. Is this when he becomes a better human? Does he ever become a better human? I don't know. Are we supposed to think that him being into Willow somehow became made him become a better human because if you think about it like his involvement with cordelia is really i mean they're not great together they sort of you know their relationship with each other the way that they i mean in the fact the way that they relate to each other is very antagonistic most of the time like it was almost like they hated each other but they were also attracted to each other they're constantly hurling insults at each other like there's not a whole lot of mutual respect going on in that relationship. So him being attracted to Willow, is that 
a turning point for him? Does he in that? I mean, obviously they shouldn't have been doing that. They were cheating on their partners that didn't deserve that bullshit. But was he learning consent and learning what it felt like to be with someone that he respects in this moment? Actually, now that I'm talking about it, like he's not nice to Anya. Like he's constantly belittling her. This is really the only time that we see Xander in a relationship with someone that he has a lot of respect for. Like he respects Willow. He loves Willow. He, Willow is his best friend. Like he treats her well. He always treats her well. And, you know, even through this where they're cheating on their partners and they shouldn't be doing it. Like, if she says no, he takes it as no immediately. Even though, you know, they're doing a terrible thing together. And that's why, like, thinking back, like, I think this is a terrible thing. Like, this whole Willow-Xander thing is annoying, and I'm so glad that this is the last episode we ever, ever, ever have to see this between them ever again. However... I remember the first time I watched the series, I was really into it. I relate, I mean, just personality wise, I'm a lot more like Willow than any other character. And so I, and I had a huge crush on Sandra the first time I watched this series. So I enjoyed this the first time around. I did. And so I'm glad I've evolved as a person. I'm glad I'm much more on the Oz side of things now than Xander. But growing up, I would have been into Xander. I would have been doing the same thing if I were Willow. And I think he's cute in these scenes sometimes because he's respecting consent and because he's actually playing out a relationship with someone that he respects and we just don't ever get to see that from Xander ever again so R.I.P. to the Xander Willow Trist I mean it was stupid in almost every way except that except for that one thing except for Xander respecting someone that he is in a relationship with R.I.P. to that because we won't see that again except in the comics um, he ends up dating Dawn in the comics, which is kind of eh, but it makes sense. I mean, in reality, he's probably only really four years older than her and like they don't start dating until she's like fully like in her 20s. So probably, I would think she's probably like 20 or so when they start dating. So it's not super gross by the time they start dating and it makes sense but um on the surface like ew 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 but yeah anyway i think he's he's very respectful to her in the comics like um as an adult xander is not as awful but he was kind of awful to cordelia and he was kind of awful to anya so anyway the last instance in the episode, and we're jumping way ahead because this is a, like one of the very last scenes of the episode after Cordelia has, you know, caught him and she's in the hospital after getting rebarred. So I'm jumping way ahead, but just, just because it's part of this conversation. She turns to him and she just simply says, Xander, stay away from me. And he does. He gets up and he walks away. He doesn't try to push it. He takes what she wants. And that is, you know, 
an evolution of respect for Cordelia as well. Like he didn't have that level of respect for her before. And maybe in some ways he knew that their relationship wasn't right. Um, and all of these relationships that are ending in this episode in one way or another are all relationships that need to end. Even Oz and Willow, like I hate that, that Oz and Willow need to end. Eventually they do. Eventually, you know, Oz is going to cheat on Willow and then Willow's going to realize she's gay. Like that's a relationship that's doomed as well. Buffy and Angel, they're, she's going to try to leave him at the end of this episode, but they're going to end up back together, but they're going to end up having to break up at the end of this season as well, because he's a 242 year old vampire and she's a high school student. Like this is not meant to be. Obviously, all of these relationships need to end. Xander and Cordelia were never going to be good together because their relationship is built on a foundation of disrespect and insults to each other. Like they're attracted to each other, and this is a high school makeout type romance, but it's not a real thing. So, all of the relationships in this episode that start to end really need to. Anyway, I'm going off on so many tangents. <laughs> So I only have two pages of notes, but I've only gone through the first half of the first page so far. Um, we get one little scene of the mayor. Okay, so Willow is at the magic shop and she wants to do an anti-love spell, she, like a de-lusting between her and Xander. And apparently the like ingredients for a love spell are basically the same if you do a de-love spell, <laughs> a de-lusting spell. So she gets the ingredients that she needs um, and then the next scene is the mayor and he's sort of he's having a conversation with his like main guy I think his name is Alan um, and they're sort of acknowledging like he's Alan's bringing to his attention that Spike is back and he's you know wreaking some havoc and the mayor sort of acknowledges yeah like he we he made lots of trouble last year. It was it was kind of fun seeing what he was gonna wondering what he was gonna do next, blah blah blah. And he sort of authorizes Alan to take Spike out. So he's gonna get together a committee quotation marks around committee to um deal with the spike issue. And so that's the only scene with the mayor, just kind of a little, hey, he's still here, and guess what? He did know about Spike because he's been around. Even last year, when we hadn't met him yet, he was still here. Um, let's see. And people keep asking Buffy throughout the episode when they're talking to her about, oh my God, your SAT scores, you could get into a great college. They keep telling, they keep asking her, what's keeping you here? And of course, the subtext there, the answer to that question is Angel. Angel's keeping her here. I don't know why Angel is keeping her here because, you know, he could lurk near to her wherever she goes, and he probably would. But, you know, she keeps telling everyone, we're just friends, we're just friends. And she goes to visit him all the time. She hasn't told her mom um, that, uh, that he's back and he kind of sees that as a red flag it's like your mom doesn't know about me because she starts to say it took me forever to come up with an alibi to come over here so um they have a conversation just like she had one with her mom and with Joyce and with her friends and um he's basically saying the same thing you should you should go you should you know have a future all of that and she kind of like takes it a little personally but not too much and she just kind of like 
packs her stuff up in her backpack and leaves. And it's an it's a striking image because like normally Buffy doesn't have a backpack. But it's a striking image because I think they're trying to drive it home that like hey, he's a 242-year-old vampire and she's a fucking high school student. Look at how tiny she looks in her little backpack because, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar is like five feet tall and like a regular-sized backpack makes her look tiny. So that's probably why they don't normally put her in one. But in this scene, they're they're putting her in a backpack to like remind you that this is not a good relationship. This is wrong. They shouldn't be together. Like, you're not supposed to like really i mean you're you're in despite you're into angel and buffy a little bit i almost said spike and angel ah the relationship between spike and angel it's a beautiful thing but you know you're you're into it but you're you you're supposed to know that it's wrong and sometimes they have to remind you of that so i think that was a little visual reminder putting her in the backpack and she just kind of puts her backpack on and leaves and he's like well you just got here it's early and she's she's out Anyway, um, this would be a good time to acknowledge that there's a lot of good boob action in this episode. Like, I would be remiss not to mention it. There's like a paper mache thing in the magic shop that is just like full nipple. <laughs> like, like you see paper mache nipples. Um, and you see it in a lot of shots in this episode when they're in the magic shop. Also, Buffy's got some great cleavage. She's wearing the same outfit throughout the pretty much the whole episode. Um, I guess she had an outfit in the beginning and one in the end that was different, but through the bulk of the episode, it's just this baby blue crisscrossy tank top with like a black hoodie that she has over it sometimes. And she's also wearing just like, like sporty type pants, like workout pants. I mean, it's... It's a mismatching thrown together. It's like an outfit that a real person would wear, you know? Like, she's just wandering around town, like, patrolling and, you know, stuff. Hanging out at home with her mom, whatever. So, but there's some good cleavage in this tank top. And it's, uh... And then there's also, in the bulk of the episode, Willow is wearing this fuzzy pink sweater over, like, a tank top. And you could tell that she's not wearing a bra. And Willow's got some nice boobs. I mean, I am a little distracted by it. I'm not going to lie. Nice Willow boob action in this episode. So the person that directed this episode, Dan Weber, was um, into the boobs, apparently. He was a boob man. Um, but, you know, there's also a jump rope scene with Buffy in that same, like, the reason why she's wearing, like, the sportsy type like stretch pants type outfit is because she's like working out at the um library and you know boobs bouncing with the jumping of the rope no it's a nice moment <laughs> gotta appreciate boobs every once in a while guys it's all right to appreciate boobs okay um so Unbeknownst to Buffy, as she's in the library jumping rope because everybody's supposed, to, everybody else is supposed to be on a bowling date. Um, Willow and Xander. Willow has asked Xander to meet her in the science lab to like study chemistry or something. I don't know, but um, because she has decided to keep it from him that she's doing this delusting spell, so she needs his presence for the delusting spell but she doesn't tell him what she's doing 
And as was pointed out in the Bite Me episode guide, which is an important thing to point out here, this is kind of a foreshadowing. This is like, they're very consistent with Willow's character. They're very consistent with characterization in general, most of the time on Buffy. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about the show. But so what they're doing here is they're letting you know that Willow is willing to do spells without someone else's consent. Like she should have told Xander about this. Xander is dumb. He's done a love spell before. He's dumb enough to like go along with this. She probably could have talked him into it if he had known what was going on, but she decides not to tell him that she's doing it. She's just trying to like pretend that they're doing that they're studying or something and she's just going to do the spell right in front of him and she thinks he's dumb enough not to put it together which is shitty that she thinks he's that dumb and it's shitty that she's trying to do a spell without his his consent which she will do again many more times throughout the series um she'll do that to tara she starts to do it to oz but i think she decides not to whenever he cheats on her. She starts to do a spell of some kind um, and then stops herself. But anyway, Willow is very willing to do spells without other people's, that involve other people without their consent, which is not cool. And it foreshadows the dark side of magic that Willow, the path that she will eventually go down, especially in season six. So as they're in the science lab, that's when Spike shows up and decides to kidnap Willow because he saw her in the magic shop. He was kind of in the shadows and she didn't see him. And he saw her, you know, gathering together ingredients for a love spell. So he's like, hey, you can do a love spell for me. I want to get Drusilla back. So he kidnaps her. He knocks Xander up side the head, like really violently. And he is knocked out for like, we're to assume probably hours. It's like a really bad wound. <laughs> um, just like Giles, a couple, or was it last episode where he got the really terrible, it was last episode, he got the terrible head wound. I don't even think he had the bandage on still in this episode. But um, maybe that's why he's going on a retreat. <laughs> Because he needs to get away from the violence of his life. Anyway, so all, or Xander is knocked out. Um, for whatever reason, Spike takes him too. He doesn't just knock Xander out and then take Willow with him to the factory. He takes both of them, I guess, because he wants to sort of um, use Xander as a bargaining chip. Like, if you don't do the spell for me, I will kill him. I mean, I guess, whatever. Um, just thinking of the logistics of that, like Spike is not a big dude. He's kind of a small dude, like seeing him like somehow transport both of them, kidnap both of them while Xander is knocked out. Like it would have been interesting to see that happening because Xander is a much bigger dude than Spike. So it, like, what does he do? Throw him over his shoulder? I mean, I guess he's got vampire strength, whatever. They're at the factory. He's still knocked out. And this is when we get um, a scene between Spike and Willow where he's just being, at first he's being very threatening towards Willow and Allison Hannigan is doing a great job being like vulnerable and scared 
and um, then he sort of starts confiding in Willow and crying and like, I'm Drusilla, like she didn't even care enough to just kill me. She just wants to be friends and, blah, 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 and he's whining and all that stuff. And he goes through, you know, like several emotions during this thing. Like at first he's threatening and then he's sad and then he cycles around to like he smells Willow's neck and all of a sudden he just wants to, to like, you know, drink her blood and kill her possibly rape her. I don't know. Because he says, I haven't had a woman in weeks, unless you count the shopkeeper, because he killed the, the magic shopkeeper earlier. I didn't even mention that, but he did. And this is when Willow suddenly stands up for herself. She's been like sniveling and like very scared throughout this whole interaction. And then she was like, look, if you want me to do a spell for you, you will not be putting a bottle in my face because he threatened her with a broken whiskey bottle earlier in the scene. You will not be having of any kind with me. You'll go get the ingredients to the spell and I will do it for you. And just as soon as she takes charge and stands up for herself, um, it snaps Spike out of it, which is pretty consistent with his character too because he likes domineering women. Like, basically he does not hurt women that stand up for themselves. He just won't. Like, that's just Spike. Like, he only kills people that, like, are completely vulnerable and victimize themselves. Which is, I don't know, just an interesting thing that I thought about. Like, as soon as she stands up for herself, he, like, stops being threatening towards her. He's just like, okay, I'll go get the ingredients. Let's do this. Um, what else do I have? Uh... Oh, um, I didn't mention this, but in when they were in the, the lab before um, Spike shows up and Xander has realized that Willow is trying to do this delusting spell and they're yelling at each other because he's completely against it because he's like, these things go bad, remember? Like, no, we can't do this. Why would you do this without my consent? Blah, blah, blah. Willow says, but this this whole thing with us is, is blech. <laughs> so she kind of puts it into words exactly what the rest of us feel about this whole Xander Willow situation. So Willow tells, um, going back to the present, Willow tells Spike that there's something else she needs. He doesn't have all the right ingredients for the spell. She needs a book, a spell book. And he's like, oh, okay, do you have it at home? And she says, no, I left it somewhere. And this is kind of a shitty moment of Willow only thinking about herself unless unless she thinks that Spike is going to run into Buffy because the spell book that she's talking about is at Buffy's house. So the next scene we get Spike hanging out with Joyce talking to Joyce like I don't know he's just fucking around like he doesn't just go to get the spell book he just hangs out and talks to Joyce for a while. But it's kind of shitty that she would do that because she doesn't know the Buffy's home. She doesn't know that Spike wouldn't, you know, put Joyce in danger if Buffy's not home, which she isn't because um, she's at the library. And you would think that, I don't know, <laughs> you would think that Spike would question that, like, Oh, how convenient. You left your spell book at the Slayer's house. You want to send me to the Slayer's house right now? But he doesn't even question it. I mean, I guess because he's in so much pain, whatever. And, you know, um, 
Okay, so. Da, 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 da. Series head injuries by Copa Love to Willow. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, Cordelia and Oz show up at the library while Buffy is jumping rope. And it's like, hey, uh, they never showed up for our date. And for some reason, they like somehow end up in the science lab. I don't know why. I don't know what would take them there because like Willow didn't tell anybody that they were doing that. But somehow they end up there while they're looking for Xander and Willow and they find that, you know, something has obviously happened, you know, things are broken and, you know, all that. So they see that something has happened and maybe they've been taken. So um, Buffy immediately tells Oz and Cordelia to go find Giles. He's in, you know, where he is in the woods. It's about a 45 minute drive away. And so Oz and Cordelia get in Oz's van and they go. And um, Buffy immediately goes back into the library to get, um, she starts going towards the book drop, where, which is where the weapons are. And then the phone rings and it's Joyce. And she's just like talking to Buffy about, hey, you know, like still talking about college crap. And in the background, she hears Spike walk into the kitchen. Like the door to the kitchen is just open. Like whatever. I don't know why, but it is. And Spike can just walk in because she invited him in at the end of season two. And so as soon as she hears Spike's voice, she like throws the phone down and runs home. And that's when we get the, the cute scene between Joyce and Spike. So Spike, Joyce is making Spike like hot cocoa and he's just whining about his, you know, about Drusilla breaking up with him, whatever, like he has been this whole episode. And she's just being very, um, you know, understanding and sweet. And, you know, I think she realizes that he's a vampire, but since Buffy invited him into the house before the night that, you know, like she was unintentionally outed as a slayer to her mom, like, I think she thinks that he might be trustworthy. Like she doesn't seem to be scared of him or anything. And he's not being threatening to her at all. He's just whining <laughs> to a mother figure about his woes and she's giving him hot cocoa. And, you know, he, she at one point says to him, well, it sounds like she's being very unreasonable. It sounds like she's very unreasonable. And Spike says, she is. She's out of her mind. That's what I miss most about her. Sorry, I, d I don't have a good accent at all whatsoever. Um, then Angel shows up because he's just lurking around in Buffy's backyard, like seeing what she's up to. Fucking creepy crust. And he tries to come in because the, like, you know, kitchen door is still open. He tries to come in, but he is, um, he runs into a barrier because, you know, all this time that he's been back, he has not gone to Buffy's house. Joyce doesn't know that Angel's back because she hasn't told her. So she hasn't ever re-invited him into the house since he's been back. So he's still, you know, he's still magicked out of the invitation and you know as far as Joyce Joyce knows Angel is bad because he's lost his soul you know she's not up to date so she's just inside while Angel is standing there and can't come in and Angel's trying to tell Joyce you can't trust him Joyce blah 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 and like the whole time Spike is like making faces behind Joyce's back and it's just really funny funny moment um, 
Angel shows up. Oh, Joyce is so confused. So Buffy shows up during this little interaction and she invites Angel in. And of course, Joyce is super confused. And um, they start talking about, you know, just the whole situation unfolds where like Spike is, we find out that Spike has Willow and Xander and, and Willow's going to do a spell for him and blah, blah, blah. And so the whole time Joyce is just like, what? Angel's good now? Spike's not good? Willow's a witch? Xander's a witch? Like, poor Joyce has no fucking clue what's going on and no one tells her what's going on. Like, the poor, poor baby Joyce doesn't know shit about the situation and no one is willing to tell her. So, just a little moment. Pour one out for poor uninformed Joyce. But Spike would never, ever hurt Joyce. Ever. Even now. Spike is evil, but he would never hurt Joyce. We cannot say the same for Angel when he doesn't have a soul. He would definitely hurt Joyce. Okay? Alright. Sorry. This episode is getting super duper long, so I need to like try to rush through the rest of this. I'm still only on page one. Okay. So, we go back to Oz and Cordelia in the van. He said he's on his way to, they're on their way to out of town to find Giles when suddenly like Oz stops and he's like smelling because the window's down and he's like, <laughs> like, I smell Willow. She's nearby. She's scared. And Cordelia has the best reaction. She's like, is this like some kind of residual werewolf thing? If so, this is very disturbing. And Oz, to his infinite credit, he says, I really agree. I love that. Like, when Angel does it, it's all like, oh, cute, he's lurking. He smells blood. Oh, cute. So protective of Buffy. <laughs> but when Oz smells Willow, you know, like, yeah, it's useful to them being able to find them right now. But also... Oz fully acknowledges that it's fucking creepy that he can smell his girlfriend. Okay? <laughs> he acknowledges that it's creepy. Okay. Um, that's when we get... Okay. For whatever reason, so they're back. So Angel and Buffy have decided to accompany Spike to get the ingredients for this fucking spell so that they can, you know, rescue Willow and Xander. Like, he's not going to tell them where he has kept them until they help him with this fucking spell ingredients and all that shit. So they go back to the magic shop, get the ingredients, and the ingredients sound completely different. Like, I have rat, a bunch of other weird shit, clove, and some other stuff. It seems like a completely different list of ingredients for the love spell that Spike wants to do versus the love spell that Willow was getting ingredients for because it was established that like the ingredients for a de-lusting spell are almost the same as ingredients for a love spell. So why are they completely different ingredients? I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of different love spells. I mean, maybe there have to be like more sinister ingredients for a vampire love spell. I don't know. I just had to, you know, make that little observation that these are different ingredients because they should really have them all because Willow had them all at the science lab like and Spike has already gathered his own ingredients but again more ingredients for a spell they're at the magic shop getting more 
ingredients. And that's when Spike makes his little speech that I put at the beginning of the episode, which is the quote of the episode, of course, his speech about how they'll never be friends, which is, you know, the thing that people remember from this particular episode, I think. And it outlines outlines a lot about Spike's character. Like, he is nothing without Drusilla. He is nothing without a counterpart. Like, he really doesn't have... I don't know. He He's just a very codependent person. And because of that, it makes him a different kind of vampire because he's motivated by what he considers to be love but it's really obsession he doesn't he's not actually capable of love not having a soul but it's really obsession but it's still an interesting speech and it lets you know a lot about spike as a character um then we go back to the factory like willow's trying to break down the door but she can't and Xander finally wakes up after being, you know, knocked out for possibly hours. And he's got lots of blood on the side of his head. And he can't stand. And Willow's just sort of, like, updating him on what's going on. Because last he knew, they were in the science lab together. And then he got knocked out by Spike. And so this is when they start kissing. Because they're just sort of, like... Willow tries to stop him for a second and then Xander's like exemption for impending death situation and then they start kissing and that is when Oz and Cordelia come down the stairs and somehow they didn't hear them coming down the stairs do you really want to make out with someone when you're concussed and you can't even stand like come on so I call bullshit on them wanting to make out in this particular situation but they did and you know they had to be caught they really did like if like, obviously, they were going to keep doing this shit. They weren't going to be able to stop. So they had to be caught. So fucking finally, it's out in the open. Oz and Cordelia walk down the stairs to save them, and they're making out. And they're all, they all, three of them, all of them but Oz, say, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, Oz. And then, um... Cordelia is just overwhelmed and she turns around and runs back up the stairs and as she's running she falls through the stairs because you know the whole factory is falling apart because it got burned down by Giles um, whenever he was attacking Angel last season after he killed Jenny um, which is what led them to moving to the mansion in the first place so um, she falls through the stairs and she is you know, impaled by like a rebar and she's laying there and suddenly Xander has the strength to stand up, which, you know, I buy that you're, you know, you know, he needs to right now. So his adrenaline has taken over. He needs to get up and, um, Oz kind of keeps his cool through this whole thing. Like we need to go. Like I can't deal with this cheating shit until we get the fuck out of here and our lives are saved. And he springs into action. He goes to get help whenever Cordelia is impaled. And um, so that whole thing happens. Heartbreaking moment. Again, I want to bring up the whole thing with Willow and Xander. I find to be really strange not only that, you know, they're doing this, but I find it strange that it's happening the way that it is because they're sort of writing it as 
suddenly they see each other for the first time and they're attracted to each other. But I think I've pointed this out already before, but I'm just going to do it again. Willow has been attracted to Xander forever. She has been into Xander for a really long time. Like to such an extent that even in the beginning of her relationship with Oz, like the first time Willow was sort of wanting to make out with Oz, Oz refused. He was like, well, it kind of looks to the casual observer that you are wanting to like get back at your friend Xander for some reason and just by making out with me and I want it to be right whenever we kiss. So no, this is not the right time. So I don't know, it just compounds the wrongness of this whole situation because like Oz was reluctant to even, he had some reluctance in even getting in a relationship with Willow because she was hung up on Xander. And now she cheated on him with Xander. So the fact that he's ever able to forgive her and trust her again, which he is and he does, is just miraculously mature of him. Like he is just like no high school person is as mature as Oz. But I think the way that, I don't know, just if they were going to make this whole Xander Willow thing more believable, I think it's the dynamics of it should have been handled differently because he is seeing her in that way for the first time, but she is not seeing him in that way for the first time. So she should be acting completely normal, except for feeling guilty that something's actually happening between them right now. But other than that, like she should be able to contain herself because she's always been attracted to Xander. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, sorry. I just think they dealt with that all wrong, all wrong. Okay. I wrote in my, in my notes, they period get period caught. So Cordy is rebarred. Um, but the, the, the mayor's committee shows up as they're leaving the magic shop after they have all their ingredients. And so unfortunately, reluctantly, Angel and Buffy have to fight on Spike's side against like a dozen or more guys. I mean, it seems like it's like 12 to 15 random vampires that are there to like take Spike out and they fight him. And so it's a whole, a whole scene of all three of them fighting and it's kind of funny and it's kind of enjoyable. And when it's over, Spike is just like, he's reinvigorated by all the violence, which he always is. This is very consistent. They're very consistent with this aspect of Spike's character as well. Like he loves doing violence, even if it's against other vampires, he doesn't give a shit. Like whoever he can do violence against, he's good with it. So he's suddenly like sober and clear headed as soon as they finish that fight and they defeat the committee against him. So essentially, reluctantly, Buffy saves Spike's life in this episode. Like, if it weren't for this episode, Spike would no longer exist. Like, if it weren't for Buffy having to fight on his side, you know, like, Spike would have died. So if he hadn't decided to kidnap Willow, he would have died in this episode. So, just, you know important thing to think about there because you know he wouldn't have been able to fight off all those guys by himself but Angel and uh, Buffy help him and at the end like Angel's sort of like this is his first 
bout of violence that he's had to be involved in since he came back from the hell dimension, except for when he killed that guy to save Buffy, that like uh, testosterone dude in the Beasts, Beauty and the Beasts episode. That was the only other violence that he's been involved in. Mostly he's just been sitting by the fire reading French. <laughs> a lot of sitting by the fire and doing Tai Chi. He's also been doing that. In this episode, he was wearing a shirt the whole time. Important note. Like, he is progressing. <laughs> reading French, wearing a shirt. He's doing better. <laughs> he's almost at his full strength. Except Buffy points out that he's not at his full strength because he, like, kind of passes out during the fight. Which kind of helps retroactively explain why in the last episode, Revelations, he kind of like lays there during a bunch of the fight between Faith and Buffy. Um, I also had to write, where is Faith at this point? Because fucking where is Faith? I know I already said it, but like she could have been involved in this. She could have been there. Like, come on. Um, in this fight, Buffy stakes two vampires at once. Um... Spike has this whole funny interaction, like, one of the vampires calls him soft and, like, baby food, and then he, like, starts saying, oh yeah? I'll give you a taste. Baby want a taste? Like, baby like his supper? Baby needs a nap. And then he stakes him, and it's, I don't know, it's just funny. And Spike is taking so much joy in this violence, and that's when he decides after that's all over, like, okay, forget the spell. They're locked up in the factory. Your friends are locked up in the factory. I'm just gonna go find Drusilla, wherever she is, and torture her until she likes me again. I'm gonna be the man she fell in love with. That's all I need to do. And he just suddenly has clarity and he just, you know, skips away into the sunset. Like, that's it. That's it for Spike in the whole season. Um, except for the very last scene. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, then there's this terrible, mean transition where like you see Cordelia like Xander has lowered himself down to where she is and he's just sort of like trying to keep her conscious while Oz goes to get help and you know they know not to move her at least and um Xander is talking to Cordelia and she just sort of like she says she can't see him and then she just sort of like passes out and then it immediately cuts to a funeral <laughs> In the cemetery and then pans out to um, Buffy and Willow talking and Buffy says so Cordelia's gonna be okay <laughs> like come on that's such a cheap shot but whatever they did it the show is cheesy and that's okay so she's like so Cordelia's gonna be okay and Willow just you know this exposition moment in the episode she says that you know none of Cordelia's vital organs were punctured she's gonna be okay She's in the hospital. Xander's going to visit her. Um, then she talks about how bad she feels and how she she wanted it all. She wanted everything, and she couldn't have that. And um, talks about how much she wants to grovel. She wants to get Oz back. And you know, Buffy says, "Well, he's going to need some time, obviously." And then there's sort of like a sadness montage. Oh wait, first. Buffy goes to visit Angel. Like, she took something away from that conversation with Willow. Like, she can't have it all. And she tells him, this is it. I'm not coming back. You don't need me anymore. You're strong enough. You don't need me to nurse you back to health anymore. Um, for whatever reason, Spike was right. We can't be friends. What I, ha what I want from you, I can never have. 
and it's just a very mature moment coming from Buffy. Like she's genuinely trying to walk away from him. And as we'll see, it doesn't fucking work, but at least she's trying to do what's right for her. And she walks away from him and he is kind of dumb because, you know, she says, I'm not coming back. What I want from you, I can never have. Angel says, I don't accept that. And Buffy just says, you have to. And then he's like, well, isn't there some way that we can still hang out? And she says, yeah, tell me you don't love me. And of course he can't do that. So, um, she walks away and then there's a little sadness montage of, you know, everybody's sort of separated being sad. Like Cordelia in the hospital bed, Xander is putting books up in the library, which is just and Oz is sitting on a pool table at the bronze with his guitar. <laughs> like, it looks like the bronze is completely closed, so I don't know why he's doing that, but okay. Um, and it's just because, like, there are no sets for Xander's bedroom or Oz's bedroom. Like, we see Willow sitting on the floor in her bedroom, like, holding on to the Pez, just looking super sad, the little witch Pez looking sad um yeah so everybody's sad and then you know they do that you know lingering on shots of everybody alone and sad um and then they cut to spike and the very end of the episode is just spike singing singing sex pistols while driving down the highway which is so irresponsible because you know he's driving in his car with like blacked out windows and then there's just like this little hole cut in like a paper bag on the windshield so that he can drive in the daylight which is so ridiculous but you know it is consistent with spike's character like spike's not gonna fucking wait until nighttime to like drive towards drusilla he's not gonna wait so he's just gonna go during the daylight <laughs> why not um so that's the very end of the episode um, dun, dun, dun. I think, okay, that's the end of my notes. So let's get to, let's see. I think I pretty much said everything that I need to say about this episode. I did highlight, um, a passage in the bite me episode guide that I wanted to read for you guys. So, oh, I skipped over the scene of, um, like after Willow and Buffy are talking as they're walking through the cemetery, we go to the scene that I talked about before when Xander visits Cordelia at the hospital and she tells him to get away from her, and he does. He starts to apologize, but I don't think he ever actually does because he, he sits down next to her. She's turned away from him. He starts to apologize, and she turns around and she goes, Xander, stay away from me. So I think that it's some sort of point of pride for Joss Whedon that Xander never actually be shown apologizing, even when it is totally warranted, even when he was about to actually do it. It's like there's something, it's like it's intentional that we never see Xander apologize and it's never acknowledged that he never apologizes. But this is what was written in the Bite Me episode guide. As always with Xander, though, it's unclear whether he is really sorry or if he just keeps his true emotions bottled up and refuses to apologize for things. So I am going to be paying attention to how Xander 
reacts in the coming episodes because of course there's going to be some fallout from this whole thing and the entire next episode is a world an alternate universe in which Buffy never came to Sunnydale because Cordelia is in so much pain that she call un unconsciously calls a vengeance demon to her and I'm going to be paying attention to Xander from now on because he's learned some respect and consent through a terrible tryst with Willow maybe has he learned something how apologetic is he? Does he ever actually say he's sorry? I think it's alluded to at one point, like he's left a gazillion messages for Cordelia, but do we ever actually hear him say he's sorry? This is something I want to pay attention to, just letting you guys know. Um, this episode is all about the future and about breakups, and it really is a pretty good episode. So let's get into the ratings. The outfit, there really wasn't great outfits in this episode everyone's kind of wearing practical clothes nothing really super flashy i did enjoy xander's shirt in the beginning so i'm just going to give the outfit of the episode to xander because that was like the only article of clothing that was like yeah i mean although i do like willow's pink fuzzy sweater as well i don't know whatever i'm gonna give it to xander object of the episode i didn't really have one for that either um so i just kind of sarcastically put I have rat because at the very end of um, Spike's little speech about you know I maybe loves bitch but at least I'm man enough to admit it. He they're they're looking for ingredients in the magic shop when he does that speech, and it, right after the speech is over, he picks up the jar of I have rat and he goes I have rat and it's just like this weird jar full of it like it looks like I don't know fish eggs or something and it's just all liquidy and gross and so my object of the episode is I have rat um the quote is Spike's whole love I maybe loves bitch speech just that whole speech that you heard at the top of the podcast episode that is my quote of the episode most valuable player I'm gonna give to Buffy in this episode because she really doesn't do anything wrong in this episode she got great SAT scores and she decided to leave Angel. She's thinking about her future and it's actually stated in the beginning of the episode when she's talking about her SAT scores like um, I'm having to think about a future which I didn't even know if I was gonna have one so it's a good episode for her because she is I don't know she's growing up and she's thinking about a future and obviously a future can't involve a 240 year old vampire as your significant other so Buffy gets the most valuable player of the episode. As far as ratings, okay. Okay, ratings. Enjoyability of this episode, I mean, it's enjoyable and it's purpose-driven and it's cheesy, but in a good way. So I'm gonna give it a five. I mean, I hardly ever give episodes a five, but I'm gonna do it because this is one that I always look forward to and I always enjoy it. And it means the ending of the stupid Willow and Xander shit. And it means, you know, it's got heartbreak, but that is something that a good episode of Buffy has most of the time. So I'm going to give it a five for enjoyability. As far as my first time rating the treatment of women in an episode, lovers walk, how are women treated in this episode? I didn't write the score down already, so let's figure it out together. Let's see. Drusilla is just talked about in this episode and I mean she's not really treated well I mean she's sort of seen as the bitch that left Spike 
but she is a bitch that he is still hung up on and he loves and he loves her for being crazy and you know okay so whatever Drusilla. Willow Willow is treated fine in this episode she says no to Xander and he takes the no as an answer at one point um Cordelia is cheated on in this episode, but she also tells Xander to go away and he and he respects her and he goes away. Um, Buffy. Angel is not as understanding with Buffy, you know, because he says to her, I don't accept that when she tries to leave him. But she but he eventually does accept it because he doesn't like go after her or anything. So I think, let's see, there's a little bit of boob exploitation in this episode, but it's not done in like a really terrible, um, objectifying way. It's just sort of a boob appreciation moment instead of a boob objectification moment. The shopkeeper chick, she was treated really badly in this episode, but there weren't weren't really any like sexist red flags for me throughout this episode um so gee is this gonna make me score things better <laughs> i mean i really want to try to look further into the the inherent sexism of a show that thinks of itself as feminist. So that's why I'm adding this little um, rating for the treatment of women. But this very first episode, like, they're, I'm not really thinking of anything that's like sexist besides Oz sort of having that little, like, was he talking about Willow's virginity is a gift that she can give him? Because if so, gross but uh yeah so i'll give it a four i guess for treatment of women because i you know nothing standing out to me as being sexist but i don't know um so that means this episode gets a 20 that's a pretty great score actually lovers walk so i'll be back in two weeks to talk about the wish thanks for listening tonight um, see you in two weeks. Bye.